Welcome to Gritty Leaders Podcast. Ian, hi, we're back after an extended sabbatical. Hi, good to be back. Really good to be back, actually. Really good to be back. We've got new music. We've got a new editor, Fina Charlson. Fina, welcome aboard. Thank you for the new music. That's all down to all down to you, Fina. Uh, we have a new format, Ian. 30-minute shows. We're going to discipline ourselves because we went longer quite often before. So 30-minute shows and then a short five minutes or so along with each show with some of the highlights from it and we will release the show then the shorts and then the next the next show i'm excited i'm excited we've even we've even done a photo shoot ben which is kind of like we did a bit weird yeah (laughs) so we've got a new thumbnail where you can actually see what we look like which for some of you is going to be scary um but we're laughing and we just look hopefully approachable personable and having uh, fun which is a big part of of doing this isn't it shall we dive in yep so here's to the crazy ones this is a pod about risk taking risk in business but here's to the crazy ones is your title ian tell us where this comes from it comes from um an apple campaign back um in the late 90s when steve jobs came back to apple steve jobs Mm 2.0 And he got in touch with his old advertising um, company, Chiat Day, and they came up with this Think Different campaign. And clearly Jobs, um, the legend that was Steve Jobs, you know, he thought very differently. He took risks, a bit of an Elon Musk, you know, of today. And um, uh, they came up with this incredible um, ad campaign, which won lots and lots of uh, accolades. At the time when he put it to the board of Apple, they hated it, Um, but it eventually ran. So if you haven't seen it, go onto YouTube, folks, and just put Think Different Campaign by Apple and watch it. It's extraordinary. But let me read it out because it's... um, uh, I can't remember who it is who does the does the actual voiceover. Um, it's a famous actor of the day, but Steve Jobs does a voiceover in one of them. But here, here's what it says, and it really fits into this um, podcast today. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Fantastic. And this is what the topic's about, isn't it? Creating the change that we need to see. I'm so glad that the podcast isn't called Risky Business. It's what we were going to call the podcast, but it's not. Here to the crazy ones. But I'm glad because I don't like the word risk. I think risk conjures up a set of behaviours in a business that are so unhelpful. People are scared of risks. Yeah, I quite agree. I mean, we were chatting before we came on air um, about risk and culture and um, just saying that, you know, if you went into Tesla today, you wouldn't come in and say, right, let's run a session on risk taking. They'd look at you as if you're an idiot because <clears throat> that company's culture is all about pushing it, stretching it, trying new things, moving forward at pace. Uh, and therefore, I think risk can become a kind of part of your cultural DNA if that's the way your business is set up. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. 
There are a couple of places, though, where I would expect the risk to the word risk to be used. Um, and these aren't what we're talking about today, but there are preventable risks. There's things like breaking the law or lying to customers or lying to investors and, and shareholders. These are preventable risks. It's simple. We just don't do them. Uh, and that needs to be clear in our employee handbook and our values and, and so on. And then there's external risks, things like uh, the risk of uh, economic change, economic downturn, the next recession, or regulatory change, the risk of the, the next Brexit, God forbid. And these are the sorts of risks that should be in our risk register. And, and then we're talking about how we mitigate those in the governance of the business. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. What we're here to talk about today is, you know, back to the poem, back to here, here is the crazy, here are the, here's two the crazy ones. It's the risks that are going to bring about the change we want, which are going to take us forward. Um, so kind of entrepreneurial risks or, or strategy risks, uh, I guess. That's our, that's our topic, our topic today. And I never talked about risk in my business. Uh, I, I like to talk about are we playing to win or are we playing to not lose? Or are we playing both of those games? And while we're on the topic... What are the possible game changers? And this began for me to set the scene for the sorts of opportunities, decisions that we should be spotting and how we should think about them defensively or offensively. So the question I have in my mind is, in an organisation after what you just said, Ben, is how do we define a risk? What do we see as a risk? How do we create that? Because if you get a top team around the table and somebody says, I think we should do that, and you can get the, um, you can get the playing safe argument, well, we tried that before and it failed, or I think that's too risky, or what happens if that doesn't work? Um, so the question is, and it's very hard to sort of define what, what it is um, that creates that dynamic around the table. Uh, where people will say, no, no, we can't do that. Uh, yes, we can do that. So what do you peg that to? You know, you talked about staying as we are or growing, you know. So what, how, what do you peg that to? How do we define this? This is exactly why I don't like using the word risk. It tends to shut down that conversation. What I might do, what I do do quite often is I ask quickly, what are our options? What are three different ways we could achieve that. Let's get a range of possibilities on the table. Maybe somebody plays devil's advocate. What are the options that aren't on the table? What are the options which seem a bad option so we haven't we haven't put it on the table? What are our options? What are the possibilities here? I'd, I'd like to get all of these onto the, onto the table. And then uh, in response to one of the things you said, uh, you said somebody might come up with, hey, well, we tried that before. It didn't work out. Let's not go down that road again. A little bit similar to that, I think with each option, we should be asking, what if? Yeah, what if we do that? What if we if we do that and it works fantastically and we need to deal with a 
quick success. What if we do that and it's a nightmare? And importantly, what if we do that and it's kind of in the middle? Mm -hmm. Ask a lot of what if questions. And this kind of gets us into beginning to envision each of those different scenarios. And that's such a helpful thing to do. And there's an energy that goes, as you were saying, that there's an energy that goes with those scenarios, isn't there? If you say, right, let's um, let's stick to what we know, let's stick to roughly what we did last year, and let's play that out. No, let's grow at 15%, let's acquire that business. No, let's grow at 25%, let's develop that product. The latter two options I've just put on the table create a different dynamic, different energy in the room. You suddenly feel, oh, crikey, that's something that's exciting. Could we achieve it? I'm a bit scared. I'm very excited. Who's going to do it? How would we get there? What would we have to do? Who would we have to recruit? Would we need investment? So it starts to create energy in the room. And I'm a huge fan, as as you'll know, of how do we get that energy in the room amongst that top team to focus on something that matters, that will that will change the game, that will make this a better business to be in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something else I think I know about you, Ian, is you quite often like to envision the future of the business I think you often do this with a sort of a three five year uh, horizon and I guess that's important here isn't it because that gives us the context for taking a decision does it lead us towards away from from that vision tell us a bit about that yeah absolutely right in two weeks time I'm running a session for a new company actually um, and it's the first of three and um, we're going to start with um, something I, uh, I uh, stole from uh, Cameron Herald, who's written a book called Vivid Vision. Mm-hmm. Good book. And yeah, very good book. And he's wedded to this um, three-year horizon. And there's a fantastic uh, exercise you can do with a management team. Um, you can do it on a yearly basis, really. And what you do is you say to each of the management team, uh, imagine that you wake up in three years time, but you don't say three years time, you give them a date. You would say you wake up in March 2026 and you come into the business. What do you see? And you give them criteria. So you'd say turnover, profit, uh, how the press view us, what awards we've won, how many people we employ, what new products we brought to the market, what geographies we're in, what our culture looks like what our staff engagement survey looks like, what our NPS scores telling us. So you give them any criteria you want. And let's suppose you had six people on your top team. You ask them all to write one page, try to keep to one page of A4, and no conferring. Because the beauty in this exercise is they will come in with different views. Going back to your what ifs, they will come in, and I did this uh, with a business we both know that I brought you into a couple of years ago where you ran something on high-performing teams. And um, uh, I got them together about a year before that session you came in on, and they had very different viewpoints at the time on what they could achieve in three years. And what you can then do over the next uh, half an hour, 40 minutes, is start to bring those together, bring all their viewpoints together. Say, well, look, you've said we're going to double our growth. You've said we're only going to go up by 30%. Why is that? What would we have to do to double our growth? Oh, we'd have to do this, this, and this. Oh, I didn't realize that. I never thought of that. Right, so let's 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 start looking at that. Let's flesh that mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. And then you start to get the alignment in the top team. And then you start to get that energy, that excitement. that, And then you flesh it all out 
And what you've actually started to do is almost to create your strategic priorities because you've started to focus on, yes, a vision, but you've made it vivid in Cameron Harold's words. And that focuses people on taking more risks because, in fact, it's, the interesting thing is about it, the, uh, the person who said the highest number at this company I was talking about three years ago that we could achieve, they wouldn't be on that which is very interesting, isn't it? Once you start putting this down, once you start talking about, once you start aligning behind it, um, great exercise to start this. Yeah, and and by the way, um, that language seeps back in, doesn't it? One of the things you said there is it encourages people to take more more risk. And I prefer to say it encourages people to seek out more possibilities, look for more opportunities, find more options, try more things. The other thing it does is it just torpedoes, it blows out of the water the concept of the status quo. And I love that. The riskiest thing, I think, is the status quo. And when we, when we have the status quo, people are sleepwalking quite often. It kind of looks familiar. This is how we've always done it. Something like this. Let's carry on. It feels safe. It's the status quo. And what happens is they generally sleepwalk into some existential risk rather than sleepwalking into some brilliant opportunity that transforms the, the business. So the status quo sleepwalking, I find that so dangerous. You're absolutely right. And I think um, I used to do a lot of work in the public sector um, as a consultant, slightly different hat on. Oh, when was it? Um, 12 years ago. And um, I won't say who, which departments it was, but there were a couple of departments where as soon as we would talk about any form of change, uh, it became a problem. Um, they were so wedded to the status quo. And as a result, that department have suffered and suffered and suffered and morale suffers and it, they just can't get any traction. They can't go anywhere. And it's become, uh, it's become their culture. It's going back to the flip side of creating a culture where you encourage doing new things and creativity and innovation and what if. It has the flip of that uh, and it become, those things become oh too hard to even contemplate because this is the way we are and it's okay and it's not broken yeah too hard to contemplate which reminds me that i'd really like to have a high performing team in place uh if i want to be confident of of how they're going to navigate the decisions that other people might call risks i'd like to have a high performing team in place because it's hard work it takes a lot of thinking, it takes a lot of paying attention, it takes a lot of asking what if, it takes a lot of learning, and it takes a lot of responding to you know, to what we're finding out as we move along. So I'd really like to have a high-performing team in place. Can you have a high-performing team that, I know we keep shying away from the word risk, but it reminded me when you were saying that, can we have a high-performing team that doesn't take risk? I think we can have a high-performing team that takes good decisions and evaluates them, evaluates them well. And it might be that they repeatedly decide for 
you know what appears the safe option the thing that's working that but that might be the right thing to do uh, i work with some brilliant businesses that grow year on year with 10% stretch now you've said before on this podcast you find that unexciting you find it unexciting when we sit down on a strategy offsite and the goal is let's do 10% more than last year however when they've done 10% or 10% plus every year without exception for 30 years you get a pretty sizable business surprisingly quickly uh, in fact so I do find it exciting but those teams if they're good at it they are still doing everything we're talking about here they're putting the options on the table they're evaluating them they're thinking are we playing offense are we playing defense they're thinking which of these options is the right one to to choose uh, we did this last year what are two other ways we can do it um, and why are we convinced why are we confident that sticking to our guns going with the status quo is the right way to go so yes I think a high performing team can actually be one that treads a safe path however quite often as soon as that team starts working in that way they will start to see some game changes I was thinking about going back to this public sector department I used to work with um, I remember they when I was there they brought in a really smart guy who'd come from a private business and he came in and he tried to shake things up because it was in his DNA to question things to say why don't we do this why are we doing that why couldn't this change and um, uh, he lasted nine months and the system if you like the culture um, forced forced him out and uh, funny enough I came across him about 10 years later I went to speak to a, a group of people on leadership and there he was in the room and uh, we talked about his um, his experience in that department but it was just that he would he was um, he was a you know fish out of water he, he was invited into that business because of the things he stood for and then couldn't be like that because of the entrenched way of working they were yeah wow and it sounds like there wasn't psychological safety in that business and so when somebody asks the question why why are we doing it like this? I I intensely dislike the question why, by the way. And the reason for that is the question why uh, invites a justification. Mm -hmm. And justifications normally are defensive. So in that sort of environment, it just provokes defensiveness. But it sounds like that was an environment where whether we'd asked why or whether we'd asked differently and said, what options did we have here and how did we choose the one we're we're using how did we come to do it this way it sounds like an environment where that would pe make people feel uncomfortable unsure of themselves and hence he gets he gets spat out of the environment wow mm. which is which is exactly what happened um it is interesting i was um I was thinking, as you know, I love sport and thinking, well, what examples are there from sport? There's lots of examples, of course. But the one that came to mind most for a, um, an organization, if you like, um, who have changed almost overnight the way they do things to become, quote unquote, more risky. 
um, was the English Test cricket team. They got a new coach who came in and they promoted Ben Stokes to be captain. And they took the philosophy of that they had imp- uh, deployed in their one-day games and um, their T20 games, which was from the first ball, you are aggressive. You go out there and you're aggressive. This has never been the case in Test cricket because Test cricket lasts for five days. I mean, if you're not into cricket and, and you immediately would pause at that point and go, I'm sorry, there's a game that lasts five days. Yes, Test cricket lasts five days. Um, and so it seemed crazy to come in and when you know you're got, you've got 11 people and only 10 wickets to lose that if you come in too aggressively you lose all your wickets and you lose the game quite quickly however it did something to the psychology of the players and be interesting to compare this to business because he said to them there's no fear here you come in and you play your natural game you come in and you can all play shots come in and play shots and even if we lose the first two or three wickets the third or fourth person, third or fourth person comes in, and they play the same way. And you know, since they've started playing Test cricket in this way, I think they've lost one game. They went to Pakistan and made a clean sweep in Pakistan, and they never, never happened before. It's so interesting. T- two things for me on this. Um, one is in this respect, in this regard, taking risk. I think sport is fundamentally different from many businesses. And on Monday this week, I was sitting down with uh, an Olympic gold medalist and I was talking to him about uh, this sort of a topic. And what he said was, it's it's binary. When you're an Olympic athlete, there's the gold medal and there's nothing else. Yeah, And there's an Olympics every four years. And you may not be at the next one. And in that environment, you do what it takes to get that gold. And you probably want to be doing something different to those around you. In business, quite often it's not like that. You know, there will be a number of successful companies in a market. And they all want to survive for the long term. Or many of them do. Some of them want to have quick growth and get acquired. Or get bought by private equity or sold by private equity. So those are the ones where it's more like sports, I think. But others, actually, they're playing a a longer game. And you know, unlike the Olympics or unlike uh, Formula One or Formula Football, business doesn't come in seasons. You know, we don't wipe the slate clean and start again at the beginning of of next season. It's continuous. So I think it's quite. It's quite different in in that respect. The other thing I get from that story goes back to what we were saying earlier. Five-day cricket, and you're right, I'd have fallen asleep. I'm not a cricket fan, but five-day cricket and playing in the way you were describing, it's not natural for them. They're sleepwalking. We're not igniting that fire, that alertness, that A-game within them hard for them to be a high-performing team when they're not playing their A-game. And the interesting thing is if you listen to them, you listen to the coach, you listen to Ben Wales, the language has changed and they've questioned why they're doing what they're doing. And part of their language now is, we're here to entertain. We're not here just to win a cricket match because what they've realised is like so many things these days, it's 
it's about the public coming along to want to tune in, to want to watch, to want to stream it, uh, to want to be there. So this becomes um, an entertainment business as well as a sport. Well, do you know what, what that does? Sorry to interrupt, Ian. The other thing that that does is they're getting feedback. Yeah. They're getting feedback. They're getting support. They can feed off that. And I think that's so important. One of the things we've got to talk about is is experiments. In fact, there's four discussions that I I like teams to be having about how they make decisions. But one of them is we should have a good language of of experiments. Yeah, each decision can be seen as an experiment. Experiments, we all know they can succeed, they can fail, they don't do anything in between. They're quick. And depending on the results, we're either going to use and develop what was learned, or we're going to try something different. And yeah, you know, if if we take away one thing from this conversation, uh, it could be replace the word risk with the word experiments, because I think that's such a healthy way to to think about this. And yeah, you know, and the link there was playing in front of. Uh, an audience in front of the the cameras and that immediate feedback well you get that with experiments as well or at least you do if you're doing them in a good way I, I completely agree and I would question uh, I know the person you were um, uh, talking to the gold medalist and I think in individual sport it is very binary because if you're entering if you're an athlete or you're uh, you know, a darts player, you win or lose that match. And pretty much, you know, that can be it. Or you're going to the Olympics, you know, I mean, you, you for four years and then you get there and uh, you, you, you come third and no one remembers who came third. But I think in something like cricket or, um, or say rugby, where you're there, you're, you're in a campaign that lasts, you know, six months, a year, two years, or four years, um, and you're trying a different philosophy, you're trying a different approach, you're trying a different way to play to be successful, a bit like a business might do. And you're looking at um, purpose, you're looking at values, you're looking at people, you're looking at leadership, you're looking at all sorts of things. I think that's where it has more parallels in, in the cricket because um, if, they hadn't, if they had failed in the first three games, they would have continued that to see if it can really succeed still. Um, because it was an approach they wanted to, to sort of try out but uh, and experiment with, but over time, because they realised they could lose a game doing it this way, definitely. Um, but is there... Uh, and the tough one about that is, of course, which has the business parallels, is if you lose one game, you can often go, oh, it means it doesn't work. But actually, <laughs> it, it might still work. You just might not have given it long enough. Sure, totally agree. So a language of experiments is one thing. There's two other conversations, three in fact, but there's two conversations I like teams to be having continuously. And that and one of those is how do we play offense? And the other is how do we play defense? So yeah, and a nice way to think about this is with the company's revenue streams. You know, which is the the strong revenue stream where we can play offense if we're playing offense. Are we are we planning for a sea change in customer behaviour if we've taken something to market that is a real success and is getting strong product market fit and strong pickup? Are we planning for that sea change 
in customer behavior, a sea change towards us? Um, do we know what it will take to outperform our competitors? And are we focused on doing that exact thing? And I would keep them talking on these topics for a good hour. I want to know how we're going to play offense in the revenue streams where where we're confident, where we see real potential. And the same, how do we play defense in those revenue streams that we see are embattled or maybe they are already declining? How do we play defense? I want to hear them talking about you know, taking a real customer-centric view, talking about how do we generate reputation, uh, trust, loyalty, stickiness with our customers. Those customers now are more valuable than ever. I want to hear them talking about uh, specific uh, revenue mitigation actions. How are we going to protect the renewals this year? How are we going to do that? I want to hear good options. Um, And I also want to hear them talking about seeing, spotting pockets of growth and pivoting towards those, knowing that it's just going to be a pocket of growth. It's going to be short term. Uh, Chances are it's just a blip in the sort of the headwind that this embattled revenue stream has got. But let's take those. So those are two really important discussions that I like to hear going on pretty much all the time. I think you could argue that sometimes because it's felt too much of a risk to do something, it won't be done. Equally, it's easy to say, let's not stop that because it's still working. And which one is a bigger risk? Because, you know, if you look carefully at something that's declining, you know, a dog in these at the Ansoff matrix, why aren't we stopping it? You know, that can be seen as a risk as much as why don't we create this new product? Why don't we enter this new market? Yeah. And hence, we're back to that what if question. Yeah. What are all our options here? What if we do that one? What if we do that one and it works well? What if we do that one and it it doesn't? And so on. But yeah, totally agree. The fourth conversation, and credit for this goes to uh, a friend of mine and a brilliant chief executive, Martin Flick. You've met, you've met Martin, and Martin, I know, always wants to know what are the potential game changers for his business this quarter, this year. He likes to have two or three game changers in his back pocket. You know, these are things we can try, and if they work out, they are going to be a positive game changer for us and uh, Martin's such a charismatic but bright leader as well and I hear him repeatedly asking his team what are our game changers right now and does he does he mean that against the competition specifically or is he just thinking in some other way we should get him on the podcast and we should ask I think Martin means what are the game changers against our own strategy you know, it's a strong team he has. They do everything that we've been talking about or equivalents of it. They're performing really well. The business is doing great. Yet he's still asking this question. And I think he's asking, what have we not thought about? What have we not got on the table that perhaps could make a key difference? Let's know those things. Let's be ready 
to do one of those things if we see that the conditions come right. So actually, I think he's yeah. It's the game changers against our own already good and successful strategy. I love it. Yeah. Well, that goes back to the, you know, what's the um, uh, biggest hurdle to us becoming great is that we're good. The Jim Collins, good to great, and I think. Uh, you know, knowing Martin and the business and then the businesses he's built up, what a great ball of energy in the room to keep challenging you on the conversations you're having around the table and what we could be versus what we are. Absolutely. Hey, Ian, there's one thing we've not spoken about, and that's how do we stop people risking the ranch? Yeah, I. Uh, how do we stop people risking the ranch? Um, well... I think every that's a that's a, a, a simple question with perhaps a, a complicated answer. I suppose <laughs> I'm thinking, um, if you're going to play a, a game of what if, so what if we did this? What if we did that? What if we stop this? What if we stop that? I think there's conversations to be have around it to start with, and then you can build up certain. Uh, you can demitigate your risks by talking them through because they can seem like a risk when you start saying, should we go into America? But once you talk it all through and start looking at the risks, mitigating them, financially planning what you might do, looking where you're going to get that money from and looking at the people, looking at resources, suddenly you find you've de-risked what you thought might be a risk. And therefore the ranch isn't the ranch anymore. And it becomes a, what if we don't do it? So the conversation actually changes as you go through the analysis of whether we should do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I totally agree. The the way we stop people risking the ranch is we talk about this stuff a lot. And we talk about it in the team. We talk about it in, in one-to-ones. We talk about it in board meetings. We talk about it over lunch. We talk about it a lot. That's how we stop them risking the, the ranch. We make sure there's no surprises. Everyone knows what we're up to. Everyone can voice their their opinion. We've considered the the what ifs. I guess there's one other thing we we can do, which is every now and again we ask, you know, let's spend a half an hour talking about what could kill us. What could kill us as a business? What are our existential risks? And what if those happened? And then we find out whether they really are existential risks or not. And I guess that's healthy not just to avoid sleepwalking into into one of those but also so that if we see one of those emerging well then we know that is the time to risk the ranch and do something radical and 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 the existential risks could be we're not pushing the boat out there enough it could be that we're just sitting here too much resting on our laurels um, and it, so it can be both ends of the spectrum, but I absolutely agree. Um, uh, and I think going back to your, you know, talking about these things in depth, if you go back to the Vivid Vision um, uh, and when you put this three years out, um, you know, how does that play out? Well, it plays out that you end up with a with gold dust, which is an, a, an aligned collective around a three-year vision that's written in some detail. Um, from that, you can start to draw out your strategic priorities and your business planning process. Um, and then perhaps your OKRs or whatever you're using to underpin that through the business. Um, but then going back to that, of course, a three-year vivid vision doesn't happen once every three years. And so when you're looking forward and out there, you've got to build into your 
off sites a time when you stop looking down at the plan and saying, are we delivering it? And start looking up and beyond the horizon and saying, what's next? Yeah, and are we always stretching ourselves? Exactly, exactly. Love it. Ian, we're over time, I'm sure we are. I think this one will be 35 minutes or, or, or something like that. Have, you, have we covered the ground or is there something additional? No, I think we've covered the ground I wanted to. My summary is, ask what if do experiments, find your game changers and think about are we playing to win, are we playing to not lose, are we doing both of those? That's my summary. What's your summary? My summary is put all that within the context of where you want to be three years out. Think about when you wake up, what is it going to look like in three years time and make that exciting and make that riveting and make that full of energy And then you'll start to plan those what-ifs and how you're going to get there. Bring it on. Great. Hey, everybody, thank you for listening. We're so glad to be back. Get in touch. Get in touch with a question. Get in touch with a suggestion. Get in touch with a correction. Ian might have got it wrong. I might have got it wrong. Maybe there's a killer point that neither of us have mentioned. Get in touch with that stuff suggest a topic for a pod suggest a guest maybe you want to come and be our guest get in touch i'm ben at leaderandteam.com ian you are ian at ianwindle.com and we will see you in a couple of weeks see you soon